Our schools exist to raise up the next generation, to love the true, the good, and the beautiful, to form minds and hearts and shape affections. And parents contribute financially through the tuition they pay, often at great sacrifice. And yet, almost all schools still need additional funds to reach all of their goals from operations to building campaigns, which is a given in most of our nonprofit schools. So are there ways for our schools and parents to partner to raise these needed funds in such a way that is winsome and welcome and effective and ultimately creates donors who are joyful, grateful, and engaged partners? My guest today is a parent, a founder of a classical Christian school, and one of the top fundraising experts in the country. You don't want to miss this episode of Basecamp Live. Mountains, we all face them as we seek to influence the next generation. Get equipped to conquer the challenges, summit the peak, and shape exceptionally thoughtful, compassionate, and flourishing human beings. We call it Ancient Future Education for Raising the Next Generation. Welcome to Basecamp Live. Now your host, Davies Owens. Welcome to Basecamp Live. Davies Owens here. Grateful, as always, that you've taken time to join us. If you have a moment, drop me an email, info at basecamplive.com. Love to know where you're hearing this podcast from on the face of the earth. And also would welcome just a chance to hear some of your story. You don't have to go on and on, maybe just a snippet of your discovery of Classical Christian, the impact that it's having. It's been fun to do these climber series from time to time where we bring on various folks to just share their story and remind us that God is doing an amazing work around the world right now with Classical Christian Education. I do you want to say a quick thanks to our sponsors, uh, Classical Academic Press, CLT Classic Learning Test, The Good Agency, and The Focus Group. Speaking of The Focus Group, that organization is, of course, the organization that Brad Leyland, my guest today, is the Chief Executive Officer and Senior Consultant. Uh, Brad has an amazing story, and he and his wife, Wendy, are great friends going back almost three decades to when we were in church together in Orlando. Brad first learned how to raise money as a college student back in 93 while he was seeking to raise personal support as a part-time staff member for Young Life. And over the course of 20 years at Young Life, he developed a passion for and an expertise in relational fundraising to the point where he was asked to train other area directors around the country. And then he eventually became the chief development officer for the entire organization. He then pivoted that knowledge into the focus group in 2012, where he became senior consultant and then owner and CEO in 2015. Fast forward to today, the interview you're about to hear with Brad was actually recorded in his office in St. Augustine, Florida, because I was there for the focus group's symposium, which is an amazing gathering of nonprofit organizations and leaders from around the country. And there's everyone from Dallas Theological Seminary, who the focus group has helped raise $160 million to quite a number of our classical Christian school leaders who, in many cases, maybe they're trying to raise $2 million to add a building onto their property. But the focus group's done a great job of of supporting our schools. He is a huge advocate, founder of a classical Christian school. He serves on the board of the Society for Classical Learning. And Brad is uh, is really kind of a Renaissance guy. That would be my that's not in his official bio, but knowing Brad as well as I do, he is also an active athlete. He he runs marathons. He uh, has just completed 50 of them, in fact, and he's also competed in two Ironman triathlons. I mean, who else adds a 5K race to their symposium of their fundraising uh, at their at their sun, fundraising symposium? Um, most of us didn't do quite as well as Brad did at it, given he's a marathoner. But uh, can, I really have a lot of admiration for his discipline and his 
determination athletically. And then on top of all that, he is a very successful realtor. He founded the Endless Summer Realty Group there. It's the largest residential real estate brokerage firm in St. Augustine, and they've closed over $240 million in transactions in 2021. He's founded Giving Day, which is an annual uh, fundraising day in May that classical Christian schools and other nonprofits participate in. I could go on and on, but more than anything, Brad and Wendy are great friends, and I can't think of anybody better to address this topic of fundraising than Brad Leyland. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Brad. Well, welcome to Basecamp Live, Brad. It's good to be here with you. Thank you, Davies. It's, uh, you know, you and Wendy have been a longtime Basecamp Live listeners, so it's an honor to actually have you here on the podcast in person. Yes, but Davies, you must remember that long before I was a fan of Davies on the podcast, Wendy and I have been fans of Davies because let's just <laughs> tell everyone in the world that you were our pastor 25 years we ago. We love to tell that story. And yes, it's it's a joy, Brad, to have, have done life with you now for almost three decades. So, yeah, yeah I it's was, true. I was the young adult pastor when we were young adults. And of course, Davies had this idea of could community be formed online? And so before there was Facebook, Davies had the idea, why didn't you invent Facebook? I, well, you know, I was in Silicon Valley and I had draw, created a... Solosity. We we had Facebook. I know it was just one, probably one conversation away from the right investor at the right idea. Yeah, I could be. Um, we could fund the. We, we could do a movement. lot. We could do a lot. But yeah, back then it was like, wait, the internet's not of the devil, so I could use it for ministry. And what might this look like? So yeah, we've had some interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's great to have history, Davies. It and is. thanks for having me on today. It's, it's so good to have you. Well, and and you have, uh, you know, since those first press days, let's kind of catch people up because it's relevant to the conversation at hand. So you, back in those days, you were working for Young Life. Yeah, I had met Christ in high school in Young Life and then went on Young Life staff and was quickly realized that the greatest way I could reach kids for Christ was to fundraise and raise more money. Yep. And so yep. <laughs> I just kept doing that in Young Life until Young Life had me and promoted me to be the chief development officer. And so I spent 20 years on Young Life staff and then left, retired after 20 years and uh, started doing consulting and helping Christian ministries. And it was really funny the first time I bumped into you, like lost track of you. <laughs> and then both of us were at a Society of Classical Learning conference, I think in Atlanta. And yep. I was looking, I'm like, Davies. And you're like, Brad, I'm like, <laughs> why are you here? And, and so, why are you here? Right. Yeah. And in God's amazing sovereignty and this way he's weaved our lives. So you ended up, um, so taking donors seriously was a framework that existed with really your mentor, right? That it, he'd been at this years yeah, before. So the focus group, uh, the firm that I'm the CEO of is, is 40 years old. And, you know, since I'm 50, I didn't start it when I was 10. And so uh, great firm. And uh, taking donors seriously, the fundraising training method was developed by the founder. And it's how I learned to raise money yeah. when I was 20. And and now I get to steward these really great principles and teach people well, using them. And it's awesome. And I love mentioning that because, I mean, you're a bright guy. You could have done it at 10. I would have fully expected that. But the point is you're, you've inherited a very proven model. And I know, again, as we're going to talk about fundraising People, it's not always fun. Uh, don't let the name fool you. Um, it's 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 burdensome. And I know in the church world, it was always that, oh, it's the annual giving sermon. Uh, you know, I'm feeling a little sick today. We may not go to church. It was just, it was sort of the necessary uh, pill you had to swallow. And yet it's it, an amazing and, and ministry 
um, benefiting initiative when done right. So whether you are a parent or you are a school administrator, there's a lot of ground Brad and I are about to cover. This is interesting. I don't know anybody better right now to, to have this conversation with focus group, bring people up to speed. I was just, in fact, we're here in beautiful St. Augustine, Florida, been a part of uh, your symposium sixth year. I think you've got what a hundred nonprofit organizations from all over the world that show up that have benefited with all these stories, Brad, tell a little bit. I mean, this is an amazing accomplishment. If, well, uh, I mean, it's just, it, God gets all the glory. I mean, like, I think that there's a, it's a fundraising is simple. When we mirror our fundraising after the essence of God, God being Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God exists in relationship. And so when fundraising models relationships, it's awesome. And so that's, if I had to, in a nutshell, explain what we do, we teach people to be relational with fundraising. Just like in a classical Christian school, we don't teach kids how to take tests. We engage individuals so that they can learn to love the beautiful and wonderful. We engage them as people. Right. And so that's why the fundraising, like the focus group, we are helping 100 ministries and some really big ministries like Dallas Theological Seminary and Jesus hmm. Film and Navigators and all these big names that you've heard of. But we also serve about 25 different classical Christian schools around the country. Yeah. And although the numbers for Dallas Theological Seminary are bigger, like we're helping them raise hundreds of millions, the money that we're helping classical Christian schools raise, which is typically somewhere between two and 10 million, it changes everything for a classical Christian school to suddenly have the new building yeah, for yeah. $5 million. And it's know. amazing, Brad, you're wearing kind of the proverbially two hats. You're wearing the fundraising hat, but you are, for those listening, you absolutely get what we're doing. You are a classical Christian guy to the core. And I'm seeing more and more classical Christian school leaders say, Hey, we really need your help, Brad. And you guys started talk a little bit about Veritas here in St. Augustine. You started a classical Christian school. Yeah. You I mean, I'll, I'll go back actually though, because yeah. 10 years ago, right after I'd left young life, one of the first clients that the Murdoch charitable trust, which is a foundation that hires the focus group to, yeah. um, teach people. They asked me to work with a classical Christian school in Portland, Cedar Tree Classical Christian School. And I had never seen a classical Christian school. I asked them to describe themselves to me 10 plus years ago. And they said, well, we're a little different. You know? <laughs> and little did I know yeah. they are, right? And, and different in such a great way. And so I started helping this classical Christian school while simultaneously my son, who was like in second grade, who had tested off the charts gifted was doing really bad in school because he was in this public school that just was not yeah. captivating his heart in any way. Mm. And he was drawing these dark pictures and just, it was horrible. Wow. And then I'm, I'm, I'm engaging with this classical Christian school and, and it just started us on a journey that led us to helping start Veritas here in St. Augustine, which has been, I mean, I'm not going to lie. It's been the hardest thing I've ever done. Like I've raised hundreds of millions of dollars and starting a school <laughs> from nothing is really hard and really awesome. So we are in our sixth year here and uh, we have 180 students and yeah, we have two campuses and, and it's... I, I've seen I've seen your building. It's an amazing story, like so many of, of God's faithfulness and, um, you know, simple, passionate folks with vision and faith and God opens doors. I mean, we could tell many, many stories. I know just of what what's happened here in St. Augustine, yeah, but it's, it's so fun. But yeah, so I, I lead 
classical Christian school. Hmm. And then, as you know, Davies, I'm on the board of the Society of Classical Learning, which you work for. So maybe that we need to disclose that. So yeah, well, it, I I think I've already mentioned that in the opening that I tend to record later. But the point is, yes. So full disclosure, um, yes. and you are a platinum sponsor of the SEL, which uh, oh we, we do appreciate that, which All is a part things. of the. Uh, but it's really just because it's the thing I care about. I care because the classical Christian movement is growing and mm-hmm. the kids that are coming out of classical schools are just distinct and different. Yeah. And so, but the thing that I see Davies over and over again is classical Christian schools who are struggling with money yep. and they live in the scarcity mentality. They're operating in a church. They're one of the things I hate is that they're not paying their teachers what they want to pay them. Like if you ask any head of school, how much do you pay their teachers? They answer not enough. And how much do you want to pay them? A lot more, right? And so, but but well, then let's do something about it. Let's have an annual fund, or let's 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 buy a building to make the school better. Like, but the idea that there's money that can be raised to fuel the movement—it's like, uh, it's like the the the, the option's not there. Mm. What in fact it is. Like, let's drill into that for just a second because the scarcity mindset is you've you've talked you're talking about that at the conference here. It, I think it is. It's very much a elephant in the room. And I think maybe, I mean, for what, what do you see working with so many organizations? Where is that coming from? Is it a theological perspective? Is it just a, you know, a lot of personal anxiety that people have? Where is it? I mean, I, I mean, you, you think, okay, a person's paying $10,000 a year or $15,000 a year for tuition. Why would they want to give more money? Like that, that's the concept is that, uh, um, what I think happens most is that heads of schools or boards make the decisions for people. They think, well, no, they would never want to give more, right? But people give because they're asked. Like, that's a principle I teach. And if you don't ask or show people a vision for something, I think about this one, I love to tell stories, Davies. I think about this one classical Christian school that we helped, and they just, we helped them launch a $1.9 million campaign Mm. in the middle of, we actually launched it in March of 2020. And so like the beginning of the pandemic, and they just finished in December of 2022, and yes, they hit their goal. Actually, they raised 2.5 million. Wow. So they launched at 1.9, they raised 2.5. And a big initiative was their teachers to enhance their teachers' pay. And um, that was so motivating to a lot of their donors. And this one donor, they were doing an end of the year appeal and all that money was going to go to teachers because that's what they typically do. And this one donor who had already given a significant six-figure gift said, I'll match anything that's given. Mm. And so teachers at that particular school got these huge Christmas bonuses. That still isn't enough, right? It's still not enough. But like the, the school never would have thought they could have raised $2.5 million. And they did. You know, it's so encouraging. That is so encouraging. So maybe just pause for a second because I know we've got a, those listening, again, parents, admit school administrators, just some kind of school funding 101 because i think you you hit on that which i think a lot of parents and administrators think well i've already squeezed the you know proverbial turnip as much as i can just to get tuition so we know tuition is a huge part of it but we generally need more what optimally in your opinion what would be a percentage that you would say a healthy school's tuition is x and fundraising is y what, what should that well is there a what way? i teach is that tuition should cover everything i mean so like if like if your school has a budget of a million dollars a year and you have, uh, you know, 200 kids, then you, that's the formula, what you're should be charging for tuition. Now, uh, 
if your school is new or you're pushing and starting a high school or there's reasons that you need to extend the reach, extend the reach, then you sometimes have to be in a place where tuition doesn't cover uh, the full budget. Like right. Veritas and St. Augustine, years one, I told you we're six years old. Year, year one, we didn't cover the cost. Year two, we didn't. Year three, we did. We were working towards it. Year four, we did. But then in year five, we started the high school, which made mm -hmm. it so we couldn't afford it. And then year six, we added a second campus. And so we need fundraising to make up the gap. But we're always targeting that tuition covers right, the budget. 100%, right. But but what should happen is you should be raising maybe 20% more than your annual budget in fundraising dollars. And you're using those fundraising dollars for things like scholarships and things like uh, improvements to your campus. Yeah. Right. And yeah. when here's how most schools do it, which is the wrong way. They do scholarship funds for people that can't afford to be at the school, but they do it in forms of tuition discount. Mm -hmm. And tuition discount is not really scholarship funds. What you're actually doing is just charging some people more and some people less. And so it would be better to go out and actually raise money for scholarships. Absolutely. Which is, which is a worthy cause. I which mean, is the can, most fundable thing. Exactly. It's easy to get around it. But but I know a lot of schools, there are schools out there listening that they don't have an annual fund. They don't have a capital com campaign. This is just, again, it's, it feels awkward. It feels maybe dirty. We ought to just... But walk us through, Brett. So I just said the word annual fund. I mean, most schools and administrators are probably understanding an annual fund is 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 for what purpose? I'll let you answer it. Yeah. So an annual fund is, well, I mean, uh, annual fund is is how much money you're going to raise on an annual basis, but it's not for capital projects. <laughs> I could have answered that myself. I know, but yeah. like it's sort of like money that the school is going to use this year. Right. Uh, whereas capital projects or a capital campaign is we're going to build a new high school building. Right. Right. Yeah. And it's going to be around for a long time. So give us some money and we're going to invest it in this building. Yeah. Whereas an annual fund, you're saying this year we want to do these things or we're using money that is going to, is coming from your paycheck to our school and it's going to be gone this budget year. Yeah. So yep. that, but, but you know, functionally I see a lot of classical Christian schools, they, they do raise some money and they do it in the form of like, they have the gala auction. Yep. Right. Yep or maybe a golf tournament, right? And they're events, and they're just asking people to be a part of tra a transaction. Come pay us $100, and you get to have a ticket to eat chicken in a fancy hotel right. where you're also given the chance to bid on items right. that you're going to buy for less than the retail, right? And then you're going to work like crazy, and you're going to raise ten or $10,000, right? right? Net $10,000. That's what I see a lot of schools do. And that's not horrible. It's just not best. Like the best is to say to an individual, would you be willing to invest $10,000 in our school? We're changing 200 children's lives. And with your support, we're going to be able to help teachers yeah. have the compensation or the health benefits that they deserve. Yeah. And, you know, years ago, I, some in, in my own journey into fundraising, I think many of us felt what I felt, which was. I'm really just walking around the 10 cup asking somewhat ashamedly for, could you give a little bit to our Christian school? What you just described is a completely different approach, which is we're doing an amazing work. And oh, by the way, God blessed you with resources. And somebody said to me years ago that, you know, it's, it's burdensome. And if you are gifted and blessed in your business or inheritance and you have these resources and you want to be a good steward, well, you're blessing them by giving them the opportunity. So well, it's I mean, a totally different wrote, way to think about my, it. My yeah. book, right, is called Turning Donors into Partners. Like Wendy wanted, my wife wanted me to call it the F word, like the book <laughs> called the F word, meaning 
the F word as in fundraising, fundraising. not right. what you were thinking. But the the idea is that like most people are so afraid of it. That's that, what, yeah. You know, but turning donors into partners is like we actually want to invite people to be partners with your school, yeah, your classical Christian school to change lives. Yep. We don't want money for the school. We want money for the outcomes of the school. And so, so often people say, I'd like to raise money for playground equipment. Okay. Actually, no, you want to raise money so that kids can experience joy on a playground. So will you help fund joy in our school, not metal bars? Right. Right. Very different. And so we work a lot with uh, classical Christian schools, helping them create a plan that creates sustainable fundraising. Because here's the deal. If I come to an event and I eat chicken and I pay $100, that is going to be, it's a one-time transaction. Whereas if I invite you to be a partner with us and you are to support our school at $5,000, then more than likely you're going to give $5,000 again next year because it's based on a relationship, not based on an event. And so that's, I teach that over and over again. And when I teach it, people go, Oh my gosh, that makes so much sense. Never thought of that before. Right. Yeah. So I feel like I feel like I get paid, don't tell anybody, but I feel like I get paid to say what's obvious <laughs> and common. Well, it's so, what grandma's wisdom going back, like yeah. just the comments. Well, and again, you mentioned the events. I think it's also I know schools I've been around, um, you know, the old book years ago, candy sales to committed donors, but the candy model or the light bulb model or the chocolate bar model, um, kind of give to get, that is a uh that's just what a what a lot of effort for a low return. So yeah. Um, although, but I, I think it is fun to eat chicken with people. I mean, maybe have a chicken dinner to celebrate the donors that yeah. came out. So yeah. So. I mean, like I, I uh, you know, at Veritas in St. Augustine, I'm in charge of fundraising here because obviously this is what I do for a living. So I'm the fundraising chair yep. person, yep. and yep. we have a pretty simple model. And I'm just going to tell the formula for everybody to hear, right? And our model, we have three things we do. So we pursue any person that is connected to the school that could give us $1,000 or more. We sit down with them in a face-to-face meeting. We assign it to one of the board members or the head of school, and we just invite them. And there's about 40 people Mm -hmm. that give gifts of $1,000 or more. And then we have a golf tournament in the spring like it's coming up i guess it's not i don't know what spring is it's florida it's always the same but (laughs) i never said in about a month we're gonna have our golf tournament and um that's our strategy to engage businesses yeah right yeah and that's our business strategy so we have the major donors that we sit down with then we have businesses we target and then in may we participate in the saint augustine giving day and we and that's our like everybody participates and we have this competition between all the kids to which class can get the most number of gifts. It's not the most money, it's the most number of gifts. And we just get hundreds of people giving on giving day. Yeah. And uh it, and it, that's it. That's our simple strategy. And we raised last year about three hundred and fifty thousand. Yeah. And this year we'll raise at least that. And much. we're gonna be promoting it. I think every classical Christian school listening would do well to participate because it's uh, it's an exciting one day of giving that yeah, has we're incredible gonna, benefits. We're gonna roll it yeah. up to we last yep. year I invited other classical Christian schools to yep. participate and several did. One of them in uh, Louisiana <laughs> raised over a hundred thousand dollars on giving day. They actually it's not were a bad top, day. Yeah, they were the top participant. They beat Veritas. I was a little <laughs> bit happy for them. Yep. Well, before we take a break, Brad, I don't want to miss. You know, I think every. You know, the problem perhaps to our earlier comments around scarcity mindsets and you know this feels materialistic. It's 
it's not really Jesus centered. And I just want folks to know if they're listening, I don't, I don't, I, what I love about you and, and Wendy is just you, everything ultimately is about Jesus. It's about the kingdom. It's about building. And this is what's so wonderful about being here with you and over a hundred ministries that are impacting the kingdom in various ways with so many schools. But that's, that's the ultimate, it's what drives the donors. I mean, let's get back to the most important piece. Well, it is. And I would, I would also add that like Christian fundraising is not the same as secular fundraising. Like <clears throat> what we're trying to do in classical Christian schools is not fundable by any donor. It's really funded by someone who shares the commitment to Christ. And, mm-hmm. and so, you know, for me, like I'm, my greatest motivation is to see God make all things new. Mm. And yes, it ultimately happens when Jesus comes back. That's when it is all done, right? But in between here and there, there's a lot of redemption that we get to be a part of. Yep. And when I see the kids that I get to see and I see how distinctly different and how, I mean, not every kid that graduates from a Christian classical Christian school is perfect. But statistically, when you look at the outcomes of kids that go to classical Christian schools, that is the greatest chance we have for our future generation to be yeah. focused on Jesus. And so, yes, it is so motivating for me. Well, we, part of. I love your enthusiasm. Why don't we take a quick break? We'll come back. We're going to actually jump into some of the content in your, in your book, turning donors into partners and looking at key principles of fundraising, just to kind of give it, give folks a sense of just the, the great substance and ideas that you have in this book. that are super practical and transformative to schools and ministries. So we'll be right back with Brad Leland. Gordon College is one of the nation's premier Christian colleges and located just north of Boston. We offer students extraordinary access to leading-edge opportunities for intellectual, professional, and leadership development. We prepare graduates for the increasingly complex challenges of a global society. In the tradition of Boston's great liberal arts institutions, we are what Harvard used to be, a place where a strong faith and a strong intellect are complementary, not contradictory. Gordon is a place where we we'll be better prepared for a greater purpose. Find out for yourself. Check out gordon.edu and plan a visit to campus. So welcome back, Brad. I want to, I got to ask, and I got to share with folks, you are a, a passionate athlete, uh, 50 <laughs> marathons, I think, is that, was that of last count or what you do know, you have to now? I recently allowed people to start calling me an athlete, but if you were to talk to my high school friends and tell them <laughs> I'm an athlete, they would be like, Brad, Brad like, the so this yeah. is really what happened, Davies. I had, I was not an athlete and weighed literally 50%, not 50%, a third more than I do now Okay. until I was 30. So when you knew me a long time ago, yeah, there I was weighed, a lot of you, there yeah. was another whole third of me. <laughs> and so when I was a 30, I decided I would start running. And so since between 30 and 50, I've run 50 marathons and now I've run two more. And then I did two Ironmans, um, which so I needed I, to do something during the pandemic. I, so. I, 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 it's quite impressive. How do you, have you put together, and I'm sure it's in your head, just the world of, of, of prepping and running and participating in these incredibly challenging th- marathons and the world of fundraising? Is there some sort of life lessons and corollaries you've... Well, I mean, the greatest... I mean, you don't get to, fundraising doesn't get to be solved overnight. You need to do the right things over a long period of time. Mm. And that's what running is. I mean, like I trained for my Ironman for over a year, like for over a year, I did running, biking, swimming. 
I did 12 hours of exercise, 12 to 15 hours of exercise for a year. So I could then do this one day of 15 hours of exercise in one day. Right. And so fundraising is the same way. Like there's these six principles and five practices that we teach. And if you did them all like tomorrow and you said, well, I've done them all, well, your fundraising problems are not going to be solved. But right. if you do these things and you keep doing these things, then you're going to look up one day and you're going to be like, wow, we just raised a million dollars. Right. And so that's my experience with fundraising. It is like exercise. Um, well, no, and it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, I always quote Eugene Peterson along obedience in the same direction. I mean, it's a steady, steady go. I mean, whether you're going to ask a donor, you need to come prepped and you need to think about it. You need a strategy. So let's get into these principles because I think the principles really set up what's, these are the disciplines, if you will, that sit well, behind it, right? I, I want to talk yeah. about that, but before we do, I want okay. to tell just a story that relates to something I said in the first well, section. I'm all about the stories. And, you know, when I talked about the giving day yeah. and, and how we just get every kid to give any amount of money. It relates to what you're saying about the the right things for the long period of time. I didn't yeah. do the Peterson quote well. But the, the idea is that on that first year we did participate in Giving Day, when we said to the donors, give anything you want, a donor gave $5,000 on Giving Day. And so when that donor self-selected as a major donor by giving a ridiculously large gift, we then went and met with them personally to thank them, which then made them give another $5,000 on the spot. Year two, we didn't wait for giving day. We went and met with them with our materials, you know, the materials that explained our school. And they gave us more like $40,000. Mm. And then, you know, Davies, you know this story <laughs> and you've walked the campus, but then year three, they bought us a school, like <laughs> a million plus. Like, yeah. It, and so it didn't... The, we want donors to give us huge amounts of money, but it doesn't typically start. Right. We want to run Ironmans or marathons, but it start like, I remember running a mile and thinking I was going to die. Right. <laughs> yep. And so now I run a mile and I feel like I didn't even exercise. Right. So, but, but that's what fundraising is. So yes, we can talk about the principles, but I, the connection is just too strong. I had to. I love this story. No, I think that's uh, your, yeah. I mean, and, that idea of, of just faithful obedience and, and seeing God again show up because we're in an, you know, I think again, a lot of people wonder, let me ask this and we'll give the principles. But I mean, coming out of COVID, I think there's probably a lot of anxiety, both on the part of givers and schools in terms of like, well, is this still a good time to even be raising money? But I guess this is still kind of that moment in history where the largest transfer of generational wealth is taking place. I mean, this is, there are people that are eager to find something of substance to give. Yeah. To. But if you look at the data, um, giving has never gone down except for two years. It was basically flat. And that was in the housing crisis of 2008, 2009. Right, right. Giving went up during COVID. And then this is what's even more amazing is giving to Christian ministries. It just doesn't go down. Mm -hmm. Like faithful Christians give, like not because of the tax deduction, but because of what they think about Jesus. Yeah. And so our the, the school that decides not to raise money because of the economy is choosing to worship the wrong thing. They're worshiping, wow. they're not worshiping the Lord. Right. Well, and it's back to the scarcity mindset or just something fear, like that. So, something like that. So, all right. So six principles of fundraising. Number one, people give to people they know and trust. Right. So this principle is just that fundraising is all about relationships, that we, um, that we were born, as I said earlier, we're born to be in relationship. And so when our fundraising is about relationships and not transactions, 
Think about a transaction. You go to the ATM machine to take <laughs> money. It's a transaction. When we treat our donors like ATM machines, they don't like it and it doesn't feel good to us, right? But when we invite them to be a part of what God's doing at our school, oh my gosh, it's amazing. So yes, that's the first principle. So how do we avoid uh, treating them that way? I mean, obviously thanking them, they're humans. They're not just ATM. Well, one, of the, so, yeah. one of the... I mean, these are six principles, and I like to teach the principles because I don't want to take, it's, it's very classical Christian school of me, <laughs> because I want to teach people principles that they apply to every situation, sure. rather than teaching them tactics right. to use to raise money. Like I went through one fundraising training course that I was required to go through because a foundation gave me a lot of money and they said, take this course. And the training said, here was the tactic, invite people to a lunch, have the lunch be 45 minutes get them to cry three times. And then after they've cried three times, ask them for a multi-year gift, right? That sounds manipulative, right? That sounds really manipulative. Right. They're handing out onions and they're just crying the whole day. Right. So. Wow. Well, I'm glad that is, uh, and I think, again, this is where the, the bad name for fundraising gets, it's, People have been to maybe too many of those and the chicken was good, but the tears were not. So, so we teach yeah. these principles yeah. and then you apply them. So if you're going to have a uh, event, uh, then how can you be relational in your event? So pretty much what I mean is that when we think about relationships is the center of our fundraising. And so when someone suggests that we do something, we always have to ask ourselves, how is this building a relationship or is this a transaction? right? That's really what we want to ask. And it's okay if we have galas and like, if, if you have a gala, then don't just invite people to the gala, have table hosts and have table hosts reach out to people relationally and invite them to be a part of something. And then the table host can follow up with the people and ask them if they had questions. I mean, like right. there's ways to make events more relational. Yeah. And so that would be my point. Well, and I think the bottom line is, is, you know, we tend to, uh, you know, we know how we like to receive uh, an, an invite to an event or to be a part of an organization. Who, who do we give to in our own humanness? It tends to be people that we know and have had experiences with that we trust. I mean, this is kind of, again, it's common sense, but um, maybe not so. All right, well, let's go into the next one. So people give because they are asked and shown how. Yes. Yeah, so um, there's this, the, the reason that principle is valuable is that so often you, the, the head of school or the fundraiser thinks that don't they realize that we need this? Like, or you might say the school needs to raise $100,000. How can you help us? But like, they're not given much instruction, right? So our experience, my experience, and the reason principle is here is that we believe that people need to understand how they fit and how their contribution is going to be a part of something larger. And so that's one of the reasons we put together a case statement that, describes the need of the school. So you could say, okay, we need $100,000 and we're really looking for five people to give 10,000, three people to give 2,500. And yeah. would you be one of those people? And then it lets them understand how they're a part of a, a larger plan. And so I've certainly seen and been around schools too, that just sometimes we were so close to the, I guess, to the you know, force, we don't see the trees, especially as administrators where we turn around, we launch, uh, you know, a, a building campaign and we've never really explained it. So again, a parent saying, wait a minute, you just went up at tuition, 8%. You got to build it. Why are you asking again for money? And it's again, understanding these are totally different initiatives. And then why do we need a building? Especially if my kid is in kindergarten and the kindergartner area looks fine. Why do we need a, right. So these are, there are all these, 
importance, I think to your, you know, of the case document of making sure we've shown them like, why is this so important? So, yeah. So the next one is people give when they're involved and have a sense of ownership. Right. So I always, there's a story I tell in my book about, uh, this gentleman who was giving, uh, he was, he and his wife really loved this organization and they were giving $10,000 gifts once a year at the annual banquet, you know, the event yeah. where they yeah. serve chicken. The chicken. And, yep. Uh, but as I was talking to them, I discovered that they had actually paid for and built dorms at Wheaton. So there was dorms with their family's name at Wheaton College. And so I said to him, I said, well, why have you not, you said how much you love this organization. Why have you not given them more gifts? And he said, because all they ever do is invite me to their banquet every year. I said, <laughs> well, have you ever toured their facility? No, but I'd love to. You know, have you ever... Have you ever had a meeting with the executive director? No, but I'd love to. And so, mm. so you know, this donor was just being treated. You could see transactionally yep. and not really involved. And so over the next several years, this donor, you know, got to totally fully embrace the organization and see it from the inside out. And now this particular donor is on the board of that school. It's not a school. So I, I'm going to say that mm -hmm. of that organization. <laughs> mm -hmm. And this donor is um, the largest donor to the organization, giving ridiculous gifts. Skin in the game. I mean, it's the whole... Right. So we always want to involve people. So like a different way of doing it is like if your school has a, a parent who maybe is in the construction industry and you're thinking of building a new building, then you could involve them. Don't involve them by just asking them for money. Involve them by asking them their opinion about what kind of building you could build. You'll learn something and they'll use their gifts. It's a win-win, right? Mm -hmm. And so, and then if you're a parent and you're listening, like you need to be thinking about what can you bring to the table that's unique to your school? And if you could offer that, I mean, it's not always about money. And so like you might be a parent with limited resources, but you might have some really great gifts or some things that you could do to bless the school. Like that's part of our giving is giving right. of our energy. And so I'm just always looking for ways we to involve our partners, our donors. Yeah. I like to, I sometimes call it a tour. Like what's the way that you could get them in to fully see. Yeah. And you think about how, again, we're so close to it. We get it. Um, and I think about how often prospective families, they tour, they get to sit in the classrooms. They have that wow effect, but then, what, you know, how many grandparents, they only experience it through the carpool line and the newsletter thing, and maybe one classroom visit. What if we created more experiential exposure points um, to it? And then, you know, to your point, as interesting, Brad, you're talking about the engaging, it really, I guess it's kind of called gifts, gifts in kind. I can think about a, a dad at a school is involved in that uh, ran a, a convenience store franchise in the area. And so every time we did our fall festival, he would bring the hot dogs, which I'm sure he was able to get any number of hot dogs right. running convenience stores. And that was his big contribution. He, his first donation was hot dogs, but again, became involved. That was an engagement point for him. It was meaningful. And then from there it became financial. So you never right. know. My first gift, first time I started giving was I was in, I was in high school. I had just committed my life to Christ and I started volunteering to be like a volunteer middle school young life leader. And I went to the wild, it's called wildlife. That's what middle school young life is called. And I went and it was an event. And then after the event was over, they put out the cheapest, nastiest cookies. 
for the middle school kids. <laughs> but of course. <laughs> and I was like, why are you putting those nasty cookies out? Like we're telling them about the God of the universe. And then the corresponding food is the right, the worst. Right. 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 Yep. And so when I was in high school, I worked as a bus boy and I would take some of my money and I would go to the Entenmann's outlet bakery. Wow. And I would buy the Entenmann's yeah. discount chocolate chip cookies. And I, I brought them and I, and that was my gift. Right. And it, I was involved. I was so excited, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I started giving as a high schooler, you know, and now I, I give as much as I can. You do. And you're, uh, and people still love chocolate chips. The universal love language of, of, of chocolate chips go a long way. I don't way. eat enough chocolate chip cookies. Well, you could eat as many as you want. I think you'd <laughs> All right, let's go into the next one. Giving is a way of life. What is that about? Well, I mean, you think about scripture, uh, we all, Romans 12, we all have different gifts according to the measure of faith God has given us. And so I have observed that there are people in the world that are givers. And then there's other people that are rich. And sometimes there's rich people that are givers. But often I think the mistake is that when we think we need to raise money, we look for the rich people. And what we need to be looking is for the givers. Hmm. And so I just, it's a principle that says, um, that giving is the priority, like givers are the priority. And in the book, I tell lots of stories about people that have the gift of giving and I just bump into them and they're some of the most remarkable people. Can you tell, I mean, you, I love your stories. Let's take them. I mean, tell me one of those, because they're well, so the, fun to just hear how well, God the, shows The story up. I like to tell the most is there's a gentleman, like if I said his name, you all would know him because he's a very famous business leader, was the CEO of a fortune 500 company. And he, uh, supports so many Christian ministries and I've interviewed him for lots of different Christian ministries. And so I've kind of got to be his friend. And so I was meeting with him in, in Dallas where he has one of his homes. Right. And I was talking to him about how he makes his decisions about giving. And he, and he, he leans back in his chair and he says, well, you know, several years ago, my wife and I came to the conclusion that we had everything we needed. We had all the money we needed. We had trust funds for all of our kids. So we just decided to give away everything else. Everything else above mm. that line, which is awesome, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, I looked at him and I said, well, how's that going? And he says, horrible. And of course, I'm a judging person. And so horrible. And I'm thinking he apparently has tight fists and he's not giving it away. And he, he looks at me and he says, it's going horrible because ever since we've been giving away God seems to be blessing us with more and more resources. <laughs> I can't give it away fast enough. Wow. And I said, well, what does that mean? He said, well, we support over 40 ministries at $10,000 or more, 10 at $100,000 or more, and several in the million dollars or more every year. And we just keep having more and more. And so, of course, at this point, all the people that are still listening would like to know his name. Exactly. <laughs> but I can't do that. But what I can yeah. say is that people who love to give, yeah. my line is that, Givers love to give like hungry people like to eat. Mm. Yeah. So. Well, it's the old to whom much is given, you know, there's more will be poured out. So it's uh, when you're a faithful steward. All right. The next one is I know is never forever. And I'm glad you've got this in here because I can definitely think of that, that incredibly difficult when you're going to ask and you've, you're all ramped up and you've prepared and you've prayed about it and you walk in and you get a no and it just feels like somebody dumped cold water on you. So what, what is the, uh, well, sometimes you get a no because you didn't prepare properly or you hadn't sure. cultivated the person, but let's assume that you've done all the right steps and, and, and now you get to the meeting and they know you're going to ask for a gift and you sit down and you ask them for a gift and they say no. Well, inside of me, everything in me wants to die, mm -hmm. right? Like yeah, I want to pretty... hide under the table. Yep. 
or just ask to go to the bathroom and never come back, right? But what what I'm trying to teach here is a no has a context. And if you understand the no, no, I can't give right now. Like my wife and I, you know, I'm always trying to figure out a way to save on taxes and, and give more. And so I did something this year that was really obscure. I bought a gas station, right? Because who knew if you buy a gas station, you could get this huge tax deduction, right? So Wendy and I bought this gas station in the land this year. And so wow. because of this yeah. rather large gas station purchase, right? I really don't need to give any money away this year because if I give it away, I don't get any tax savings on it, right? So there's a few people that came to us at, towards the end of the year and asked us for gifts. And I was very happy to say, no, not until January, right? Right. right. So my no had a context of, Yes, if you really need the money in December, we can make a gift. Yeah. But do you mind waiting till January? Because I don't have any more room to get a tax deduction this year. And I'd rather the government underwrite my giving. Yeah. You know? And so my no had a context. Except if the person, if I said no and they freaked out and ran away, they would never realize that I said, can you just wait two weeks? Yeah. You know? Yep. That's a great story. Well, I was actually in one of your breakout sessions here at the symposium talking about the giving of non-cash assets. And they put a really fascinating comparison chart of giving a piece of property, sell the property and give the money to the organization or deed it over to the organization and then avoid the capital gain. So again, helping donors sometimes think how to wisely steward it, it actually is a win for everybody. Oh my gosh, it's so fun. <laughs> we could just have a whole podcast on tax uh, advantage. <laughs> and you and I might be the only one listening, but it's right. No, but it's true though. And if people are like, well, that's manipulation. No, it's not. This is absolutely within the bounds of, of tax code. And it's just, I think it's just a stewardship Yeah, issue. I mean, there yeah. was a piece of property for, uh, for sale next to a classical Christian school. And I bought the piece of property and then I knew, I knew that it was valuable and it was underpriced. Mm -hmm. And so I bought it and I held it for two years and then I donated it to the school, to the classical Christian school. Yeah. And I saved more in taxes than I paid for the property. So basically I just I just redeemed the land right. and gave it to a classical Christian school and they still have it and praise the Lord. It's just, isn't they, that fun? It's a, it's fun. I'm it, sorry, it, but we're not on the principle. Of no, <laughs> so no, but it, but it is related to that because to your point, the no may be because that you have a savvy, you know, someone who steward their money well, that there is a bigger story going on in the way they're accounting for and managing and stewarding that may be a no, but if you don't understand that or you take it as Meanwhile, a personal way. Meanwhile, if you way, need to get gas, you should go to a shell station yeah. in the land. So, so yeah, you're the only person in the country not complaining about gas prices right now. <laughs> Fill exactly. her up. <laughs> Wendy, go fill the car up. Well, you just have to drive to the land there to fill it up. I guess that's it. Yeah, but we drive electric cars, so. Isn't that weird? You Not a gas station? That is a really, you're the first person I've ever met. That, so yeah, I should I'll be asking you for hot dogs for our next event. So, all right, moving on. Uh, last one in the, in the six key principles is that proper planning maximizes results and minimizes cost. Yeah, so, you know, I like to tell the story um, about Jesus and all the work, I mean, when you think about the Bible, if I was, if we were in the room, I'd hold up my Bible and in the first couple pages of the Bible in Genesis, like it's God created the world perfect, right? And then man sins and then the rest, that's like the first 10 pages in the Bible. And then the rest of the Bible is the story of God redeeming his world through his son, Jesus and all the prophets and all the work, 2000 years of, of work 
to redeem the world. God really planned it out, right? He knew what needed to occur so that you and I could have a personal relationship with him. It's amazing. Well, fundraising mirrors that. And so when we do fundraising well, we hit our goals and donors feel like they're partners and they're happy to keep giving. I sometimes get people say, our donors are fatigued. Like I get that. And maybe you're a parent listening to this and you feel fatigued. You feel like your school is constantly asking you, right? Well, donor fatigue occurs when we don't thank our donors properly and we don't enjoy, let them enjoy the fruit of their contributions, right? Yep. And so I, we teach that you should give, you should ask once a year and you should thank, thank three times. That's part of the planning, is planning when to thank. And so when someone says to me that their donors are fatigued, I actually want to call the donor police because what <laughs> what they've been doing is abusing their donors by over asking and not thanking mm-hmm. enough. Yeah, and uh, I don't want that for them. And I, I I would like every school to have a plan uh, that just outlines when we're going to ask and when we're going to thank, and here's our year long plan. And you know what? If you only thank twice instead of three times, that's okay. Um, yeah. one of the things I love about my book as we get, we've gotten through the principles is I wrote the book. I talked a lot about Jesus. I told 65 stories. It's not a hard read. You could read it in probably about two hours, but throughout the book, I list uh, links to our website where you can download examples of everything I've talked about today. And so like, if you want to see the case statement for Veritas in St. Augustine, there's a link to it within my book. If you want to see an example annual plan that your school should follow, there's a link to in my book. Yeah. And, um, you know, I'm not trying to sell my book. I'm really trying to change the world. I know you are. And that's why I, we're having this conversation and the book is great because it's, it's, you've really brought together all these stories, these experiences. Why don't we take a quick break? We're going to come back just for one more. I want to just kind of a final quick closing segment, Brad. I'd love just to get some, you've got so many stories, so many perspectives. And I think about kind of those listening in the administrative camp and those in the parent camp, just some of the, maybe just some words of encouragement in this area of fundraising, because it's a very different experience for the parent listening, um, just sort of working through the realities of their particular school. So let's take a quick break. We'll come right back with Brad Leland. Hey there, I'm Jeremy Tate, founder of CLT or the Classic Learning Test. Here at CLT, we are big fans of the Basecamp Live podcast, and we're honored to work alongside all of you in the classical renewal movement. In addition to our beautiful standardized assessments for grades 3 through 12, CLT also produces a podcast called Anchor that we think Basecamp listeners will enjoy as well. Anchored explores the intersection of education and culture, and it features conversations with leaders across the entire renewal movement, from college presidents and professors to heads of schools and organizational leaders. If you want to stay up to date on all that's been going on in education and in the renewal movement, please check out CLT's Anchored podcast. That's A-N-C-H-O-R-E-D. And visit our website at www.cltexam.com slash basecamp. So Brad, as we think about the, you know, those listening to Basecamp, it's always kind of two audiences. And I think about parents right now, we've covered just the, uh, I think explaining, I think very well, why this is an important part. Fundraising is an important part of a healthy school. But if you were in a room right now with parents, what, what might be just some words of encouragement you would provide them with? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think don't shame yourself into feeling like you, I'm suggesting that everybody needs to be a major donor. Because what I actually believe is that everybody can be a major donor. Like sacrificial giving mm. is 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 what is the greatest thing. Like, so there's a, probably a person within that parent audience that giving $50 a month or even $50 a year would be a sacrificial gift. And there's probably a person who could give $5,000 even a month and it wouldn't be a sacrificial gift. So I'm not shaming anyone. I'm just really inviting all parents to be a part of doing an amazing thing through giving. Yeah. Like it's, it's worship. Giving is worship. And so please support your local church, support your local classical Christian school and realize that you're part of a generational movement. I mean, this is mm. a big deal. It's a widow's might. I mean, it's yeah. the, it's the beauty of that. And, um, and, and certainly a lot of major ministries that are the biggest uh, portion of their donor base are those $50 a month or $20 a month. And they just, you know, it adds up and it it, does. it's a, a lot of faithful folks. So, all right. So now you're in the room with a bunch of administrators <laughs> and they are um, eager to try and uh, get their school back in the black and want to make wise decisions and don't want to sell candy bars anymore. So what might you encourage them with? Well, I'd probably... Tell them to go to the focusgroup.com backslash classical. <laughs> I really would. Because no, I, please I have, tell them, yeah. Focusgroup.com backslash classical. That's where we have case studies of classical Christian schools that have done amazing things and you wouldn't think they would have done it. Um, and I just like, don't believe the lie that says you can't raise the money. Like to the heads of school and the leaders and to the board members listening, I want you to... Close your eyes and imagine if money were no object, what would you be doing mm. with your school? And you need to have that as your target because we serve a God that that is not too impossible for. Mm-hmm. The only reason that so many of our classical Christian schools are in the basements of old dirty churches is because they haven't, they haven't yearned for more. Mm. And so um, I just would encourage each of you to dream. And if you need help in dreaming, go to that site I just told you and, and just literally watch the video testimonies of heads of schools that say, I used to be like this, and then this happened. Right. Well, and I've, again, your book, this is what I love. It's readable. And when you, when you worked for Young Life, as long as you, you did, um, the stories are what engage people, and you've got plenty of them for sure. Um, well, well, Brad, this has been very encouraging, and I hope those listening have really been just freed up, either freed up from the sense of the fatigue of, uh, you know, of maybe feeling that school, maybe the school is asking too much and maybe it's good for schools who are listening to think maybe we should lay out. I know some schools have just lay out a 12 month calendar and walk through it and see how many times during the year and how many moments we're asking, because sometimes it's just death by a thousand cuts of, you know, donate to this and write a check for this thing and, and fees. And, and so it all adds up. But I think if we can see it through these eyes that you've helped us to see, fundraising through as a kingdom building opportunity. It's pretty exciting. It really is. It really is Davies. And thanks for letting me talk. And you know, fundraising is an important part of a school's culture. And so if it's done well, it's awesome. Well, thank you, Brad, for, for being a part of it. And we'll definitely have to have you back um, as you uh, continue to tell the stories and just encourage us. And I do hope anybody listening just wants a word of encouragement from Brad and, and guidance in the process focus group you guys are doing such a great job thanks for everything brad i look forward to having you back thanks again hey there base camp live listeners this is davy's daughter hannah here and i want to congratulate this amazing podcast on almost five years 
of incredible content, enriching interviews, and over 200 episodes. So that has brought so much encouragement to people. And thank you for being a part of that. Thank you for supporting this message, this mission. And there are a couple ways that you can help in sharing that message. First of all, please leave a five-star review on whatever app you are using to listen to this podcast. You can also share it with a friend. That's a great way to get the message out about Basecamp Live. And of course, share your story with us at info at basecamplive.com. There we'll also answer all your questions and more. And any topics that you'd like to hear too, please send them there to info at basecamplive.com. We'll see you next week, everybody. Thanks.